0: I think early in my career, I always thought, wow, you know what, just just work really hard and prove that you're really good at what you do, and people will just notice that, (laughs) and they'll promote you, and they'll give you more money.
1: Welcome to NPS I Love You, a podcast powered by Catalyst. I'm your host, Ben Wynn, and this show is all about awesome people, ideas, and stories, all with a customer success twist. On NPS I Love You, I talk to everyone, from artists to scientists, CEOs to CSMs, and everyone in between, to give you powerful insights that will help you in your career and in life. Christy Falteruso is Vice President of Customer Success at IntelliShift, and one of the most prolific customer success leaders in the industry. On today's episode, Christy and I talk about finding success through helping others, how to think about your next promotion, and the Real Housewives of Atlanta. Uh, You're welcome to swear, you're welcome to go off on whatever tangents you like. And well, if you say anything that's horribly incriminating, we can always edit that out after. Sounds good. Awesome. So you recently um, made me feel terrible about myself. No, you recently told me that you start your day at something like 4am. Is that true? Am I getting that right?
0: Oh, gosh. Yeah. So in fact, you'll you'll hate me even a bit more. So lately, I've been like Three. Oh. So my internal clock has been like triggering me to get up at two 30. And then I try to go back to bed, which usually doesn't happen. So I stay in bed till three 30 because I promised my husband, I wouldn't go into our home gym until four. So I'll get up at three 30. Now, go get ready, turn on the heat in the garage to like, warm it up, get my water prep dress. So I'm in the gym by four AM and working out from four to six every morning, seven days a week.
1: In the gym at four AM at two 30 in the morning. I'm usually still up watching forensic files.
0: Well, my favorite like thing we could at two thirty though is that all my friends on the on the West Coast are still like up and doing stuff, right? So right. at two thirty, even though I'm up early, they're up late. We can kind of exchange some stuff. So my LinkedIn activity is still like bumping at that hour. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's where the party's at. No wonder I'm missing out. So that's secret number one: is go on LinkedIn at eleven thirty to two thirty, and eleven thirty at night to two thirty in the morning to strike gold. Yes. Okay, so gym from four till six. That's correct. And then, okay, do you go straight to work then after six, or you're are you like at your desk at six thirty?
0: Oh gosh, no! I'll break down my morning. I wish, I wish. So I have a twelve-year-old daughter and a husband who both need to be fed in the morning, and so it is four to six in the gym, six to. 6.45 6.45 in the kitchen so making breakfast for everybody cleaning up the kitchen packing lunch for my daughter on the days that she goes into school and then it is 6.45 to 7.45 get in the shower get ready for work because 7.45 my neighbor's kids come over i got to drive the kids to school come back for my 8 a.m. Nice. morning meeting every day
1: mine's pretty much the same yeah
0: <laughs> so my uh my, my four to my four to eight is like jam-packed with like as much activity as you could fit in any morning
1: that is a lot to do in the morning mine is up at eight i'll wake up at eight walk six feet to my coffee maker cuddle with my cat for a good 20 minutes and then have a coffee shower sit down and start working at like eight forty-five or 9 so that's you know about the same level of level of intensity.
0: Absolutely, it sounds it. No, no, definitely on par.
1: <laughs> to, well <sighs> to, a make my, jealous. to make myself feel better, a little better about myself. Can you tell me something that you are struggling with, productivity wise or scheduling wise?
0: Reading. 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 Okay. I am. I'm like, for some reason. Well, not for some reason. Okay. I used to commute mm-hmm. into Manhattan. I live about 45 minutes outside of Manhattan on Long Island. And when I was working in the city, I had an hour and a half commute in the morning, hour and a half commute at night. I read, I read every day back and forth. And I'll tell you, eliminating the commute, while it's amazing, not commuting, I'll tell you that, um, trains, planes, and automobiles all stink, but I don't, I don't read as much. And so I'm struggling to get through the huge stack of books that I've got piled up on my nightstand, on my bookshelf, on my desk. And so that is the one thing where I just feel like I'm failing because when I'm done working at the end of the day, I'm like ready to crash. Yeah. Now I've been like up it. for how many hours <laughs> for in the like day three like days like at a hundred miles an hour, right? Just kinda of like high energy all day. By the time I'm done, I'm like I cook dinner, do the dishes, you know, wind everyone else down and I'm like, I'm shot. So picking up a book and like trying to commit to that, it's like exhausting. Instead, I need to watch like some like reality TV yeah. or some other junk, right? <laughs> to just decompress and unwind.
1: What's your reality TV show of choice right now?
0: Oof!
1: <laughs> right, this is a no-shame zone.
0: Um, so I am, no, listen, I, I have no shame. <laughs> I'm not embarrassed of this. So I am currently re-watching The Real Housewives of Atlanta, and I started from season one. Nice. And that was like like just circa 2009 or 10 or something like that when yeah. it started. And so I'm in season six right now. Um, And it is it is the worst kind of junk you can consume. And my daughter like I have to pause it. My daughter walks in the room because everyone's always fighting and cursing and like the context is horrible. So um, that is my guilty pleasure, though. It's any real housewife of wherever you can put me in front of. But Atlanta is like near and dear to my heart. (laughs)
1: <laughs> all right, good to, good to know. I actually have not watched that one, although I've seen several clips and things that people have shared with me.
0: You're not missing much. <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty sure that show makes for great memes, yeah. but that's probably. Not I mean, it.
1: there's a lot of value. clearly. I'm a fan of memes, so <laughs> maybe that'll be the theme for next week. It'll just be all Real Housewives memes on the Catalyst account.
0: Oh, oh, that. Would if be I can gold. get proof, if I
1: can find ones that are appropriate enough to not get myself fired.
0: <laughs> well, I think that's that's going to be the the yeah, hardest part. I mean.
1: Yeah, we'll figure it out. I keep making fun of Edward uh, because we—I think I made one recently that had the F word in it, and he was like, Oh, some people, you know, let's say let's say fudge instead." And I don't know—I just found it hilarious. So now at work, every time I want to swear, I just use fudge, and I just find it so funny for some reason.
0: <laughs> well, we have a, a, a no curse word policy in our house, like when my daughter is mm-hmm. present, and so when you try to manage your vocabulary around your kids like i have to like dovetail like i'll start saying something and then like quickly pivot so those are those are usually some interesting nice. ones
1: well <laughs> you started using work lingo with quick pivot so talking moving into talking a little bit about work <laughs> you've had seriously an, an amazing career both like at work and then building up this this amazing personal brand through social media through linkedin and then cs space and in, in general and I know that one of the key pieces of advice that you give is to pave your own career path by being direct and asking for what you want. So at the risk of sounding a bit like an infomercial, is it really that easy?
0: I wouldn't say it's that easy, but it's that clear, right? Like it—it it it's that simple, I would say. I don't think it's that easy. You know, I think for me, I've I've come to find like I think early in my career I always thought, wow, you know what? Just just work really hard and prove that you're really good at what you do and people will just notice that (laughs) and they'll promote (laughs) you and they'll give you more money. (laughs) And I'll tell you, like, from like 20 to 25, I was like, but wait, what's happening? I'm doing all this great stuff. And so I quickly realized that like, listen, nobody everyone will every employer wants to maximize the value they're getting out of any employee. Right. So no one is just going to start throwing money and titles around. Like they're not just sitting there waiting to give you things, right? If you're not asking, then they're going to just assume you're content. You're happy. They're getting what they need out of you. It's great. It's mutually beneficial, right? But the minute you sound the alarm and say, Hey, I need something else. And that's something else. It doesn't have to be money. It doesn't have to be a title. It could be more responsibility. It could be more involvement, more exposure, more opportunity. But it's important for you to know what your more is and be vocal about it. And I, I'd, I'd say that, that is the that was the big, I think, realization that I had professionally. That was the catalyst to my growth. It was realizing that my success is in my hands, right? Like I'm the CEO of my career and me. And, um, you know, if I want something, I got to go after it and go after it aggressively. So I I have. And honestly, listen, I'm sure it rubs people the wrong way with how assertive and how aggressive I am. But I always- Well,
1: you're also from Long Island. So-
0: Well, this is true. I think it's a New Yorker in me too, right? Not very shy. But I'm also very clear in like making sure that anything I ask for is mutually beneficial, right? Like I'm not asking for things because I want them. I'm leading with this is what the value is to the organization or to the business or to our customers or to our revenue, right? Like it's a very specific contribution, I think that this growth will make to you. And then here's how I benefit personally. And I think when you position things in a mutually beneficial way, I think it sets the right precedent, right? Like that I'm not asking for this because I just want this. I actually am asking for something that I think is gonna be a, a significant material change for the business, right? I'm gonna have real impact For you, and that will result in more, right? More revenue, more customer retention. Whatever the outcome is that I'm talking about, but it's it's more. So if we're both getting more, you can't go wrong. Yes. So I think where people go wrong, though, is making it about them and using these like funny things, like, "Well, I've been here for ten years," (laughs) or "Mary's making X, so I should make X." Right? right? Like those are just horrible arguments, and I. Like, I almost comically laugh when anybody on my team has ever come to me with something like that. I'm like, why don't you go back? Think about what it is that you're asking for. Think about why I might not say yes to your ask right now. And then let's rehab this conversation. Yeah,
1: that's good <laughs> feedback. Because I was going to point out, like, I think the, the other go-to that maybe is a little more credibility than, well, you know, Mary's making this, is from the when people wait until they're ready to leave or they're thinking about leaving or they have another offer and they make it a, a negative thing. If you don't, Give me X, Y, Z by this time, then I'm going to leave or I'm g- not going to be happy or whatever. You set an ultimatum, which might work. I've seen it work in many cases. But what does that do to the relationship between you? It's short and, term. Exactly. Right. It's it's never going to going to last. So I think, you know, giving those ideas of looking for the win-win in terms of moving someone into a role, whether it's a horizontal move or, or a diagonal move or a, a vertical move and making, yeah, make, look always looking for the win-win and making sure that it's a, an add to the business. I wanna take this back a little bit further because I was gonna say before that I think there's a, a point in time where we all realize that life isn't a meritocracy and work isn't a meritocracy and people don't just look and say, Hey, can I can I give you a promotion? Can I give you more money? Like great. As much as nice as that would be. So I'm curious how you as a manager kind of approach like, do you think it's do you think managers should be on the lookout more for reasons to promote people and do that proactively? Do you think it should be on the onus should be entirely on the employee to ask specifically for what they want? A mix of both?
0: Well, I think it's it's important to set clear expectations, right? As, as the employer and the employee, right? As an employee, like you should be sharing with your manager what your professional and personal goals are, right? What are you working towards? What's to your ambition? What are your drivers? What do you want from your time here? and I think as the employer, it's important to set expectations with your employees on what is possible, right? And this is, listen, I know that, especially operating in the world that we do, right, a lot of these companies where we're finding customer success is like immature SaaS companies that maybe don't have the infrastructure established where they've got succession planning and career paths, but, you need to figure out something, right? So like for me, what I've done outside of building out all of my new employee engagement and training and all that was also creating an infrastructure that would result in us not being so flat, right? Like giving people the ability to understand that your next step is X. Here's what is possible, right? But also telling to them, like, it doesn't, there's no set timeline on this, right? You could advance in six months. You could advance in six years. But here is what it would take to advance the balls in your court. And I also say, like, listen, you have to allow for some realistic time in the role because, again, you don't want to be disruptive to your customers, right? I always tell people, I'm like, you're in a customer-facing role, right, which means you manage a book of customers. I cannot put you in a different role every three months because it disrupts the business, it disrupts our customers, right? So, like, also setting appropriate expectations, but how you manage that balance. And so I would say the onus is on both people. Employers should have a plan. It doesn't need to be a formal plan. It doesn't need to be documented even, but make sure that you're paying attention to what your employees want and that you're reading signals and checking back in with them, right? If your employee has said with you, hey, listen, in in a year, I would like to be X, right? In nine months, you should check with them to see how they feel like they're advancing or what opportunities you have available to help them get there within the timeline that they set. Or quite frankly, go back to them and say, hey, I know you said a year on this. I've been watching your performance and I'm thinking more, we're at an 18 month mark before that's a possibility, right? But you're at least setting expectations and you're being proactive. And so just like we say, be proactive with customers, as leaders, we should be proactive with our employees, right? So everything you do with your customers, you should do in turn to your employees as well.
1: Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And it seems seems like an obvious thing, but it, but it is hard. You made a great point earlier, like at scale ups and, and early stage startups, it's just hard to allocate the time to build that out unless it's a fire, like someone is gonna leave.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, both both parties just kind of need to own it a bit more. And I think be more accountable to advancing people and, and paying attention to people. I think the other challenge you run into is first time managers. Mm. Right. How many times do you see, especially again, in the world in which we operate, which these smaller hyper growth organizations where you've had an IC advance into a leadership role and not give them any formal training? So they don't even know how to have these conversations. They don't even know what's possible or or how to set that. So I think there's also that challenge, too, that a lot of companies are faced with.
1: Definitely. And it's great to to promote ICs to, to managers and promote people internally. But there needs to be that training to go along with it. There needs to be mentorship. Yeah. There needs to be coaching. At our event, which seems like 10 years ago, it's our, the last event we had in February. That was my first event at Catalyst. I remember you talking about tribal knowledge and... People how holding on to it can essentially hurt your career, but a lot of people think that their value comes from what they know about the product and, and the company. And it's like, oh, if you wanna figure out how to do this, you gotta ask like Steve. He knows the way around. Like all that kind of stuff. Your view is the opposite. The value is in, in giving it away and sharing it. Can you explain what tribal knowledge is and why people should be trying to give it away instead of hold on to it?
0: Sure. So I mean And yes, I still very much stand by that statement. And I'll even talk about what I'm doing today to make that like a bigger push for me personally. But listen, I've worked in companies where you're there for a long time, right? And so when you're there, you have this IP, this intellectual property of like, you just know everything, right? It's like, you know what, where the best coffee pods are all the way down to like, you know how to get that one piece of paper executed flawlessly by your CFO, right? Like, you know, all the tips and tricks, right? You can get it all done. But what happens is a lot of people, they believe that having that is their power, right? And they don't want to relinquish power. I mean, it becomes a power struggle. And, it, and I think it's driven by insecurity. And I think even just the way organizations breed that type of culture. But what I have found that that doesn't benefit anybody, right? Like you become this single source of information and knowledge, well, guess what happens? Everyone relies on you, right? So you become this go-to person, which could feel validating, but you're, you're this bottleneck, right? Like you, and then you start to feel like, wow, I have to be there for everything, right? You feel like you're, everyone's a burden. Everyone's, it's like, but you have this and you're not disseminating it, right? You're not delegating it. So I would say like, I'll give you a little story. So I'll take you back to my first CS role. I was great. I was great at being a CSM. I loved it. There was other, I like, in fact, I struggled with moving into management because I loved being a frontline CSM so, so much. But I knew so much about our product, and I was a subject matter expert. And I felt like that was my differentiator, right? And nobody else had that. So this made me special, it made me different, and why, why would I give away all my goodies, right? Then, then everyone is as good as me, and then what value do I have in the organization? So I did that, I held on to everything. And exactly what I just described happened to me. So I became the go-to person for everything. So I was peppered with questions and tasks all day. I wasn't able to get anything done. So I was feeling, I never had a win. I never felt a sense of accomplishment or completion in anything. From a leadership standpoint, it prevented me from actually executing efficiently and in a timely manner, because I was always being asked to do other things because I had all this information. So what I found is that little by little, I saw that it was actually detrimental to my career progression and didn't really foster the right communication and engagement with all my cross-functional peers, right? Like I became cagey and like, didn't want to share. And then they weren't growing and they didn't have what they need. Everyone had to go. It just was, it was horrible, muddied everything. And so I started to like give things away. And so immediately what I felt is freedom, right? Like freedom from these chains of like everyone having to come to me for everything. I felt validated that the information I was sharing was empowering other people. And as a result, they were doing better work. And so I was doing less, but having bigger impact because by sharing, I was empowering people around me to do more. And so we as a team were growing and we were getting better and our customers were more successful, right? So I started to see that. And then my leadership team started to see that like my sharing and my dissemination of information and my empowerment of others demonstrated the leadership skills that they wanted right so then little by little like i started to elevate me more in the organization which was great so i was like i had this epiphany where i was like oh okay so if you give more you do less and you get more i'm like this is so interesting so like by by doing this it actually like it propelled my career it made me feel better i was more productive people around me felt empowered Mm -hmm. and i just got out of this rut and so yes i believe that giving helps everybody grow. So one thing I think anybody who is connected with me on LinkedIn will see, I share selflessly. My time, my information, my resources, I don't care. Anything that I've built is for everybody to have because It doesn't matter right like empower and give it to everybody by keeping that stuff sure i'm still valuable but i'm not any less valuable because i've shared that right right so i think it's just people starting to understand that so like i'll give my decks i'll give my materials run on my playbooks fine here's what's worked for me it doesn't mean it's going to work everywhere it means here's what here's what's helped me and if i can guide somebody else and empower somebody else to be wildly successful then i think i'm doing something really good for for somebody else, right? Like and so that's gonna come back, it's gonna benefit me. It's gonna up level my career and my success. And that's that's what it's done, right? Like I've been able to build my brand through giving. True. I'm not special. I don't know anything more than so many of my my C S leaders peers, right? Like they we all are kind of coming through the same journey together. The only thing that I think separates me is my selfless giving. Right. It's making time for people and sharing my information. It's putting my materials out there, making them available, and building my community that way. And so I think that's where I've made myself a valuable asset to others. So it's how I've been able to transcend that from learning from a frontline individual contributor all the way through, you know, being able to be recognized as a top influencer in the, in the space.
1: It's definitely. I don't even have to look at any uh, top fifty uh, CS people anymore. I can already list about uh, half the list just off the top of my head every time. Uh, <laughs> but the but it's a you know, lot of great points there, and, and definitely something that I think we all kind of fall into early on. And then I think yeah, that you said it best there. You know, in terms of you being able to build, you've built your brand by giving things away selflessly and just sort of seeing how you can help others. And and I think that's such a positive way to to grow your brand or for anyone to grow their brand. And within a company, yeah, I think, I mean, I can see it a lot, especially some maybe older companies or larger companies with different cultures or things like that. It would be very tempting to like, hold on to that information and not feel sort of safe giving it away. But I think if you're a team and you have a team culture, then you have to do it. And it's, it's the only way you'll survive.
0: I think so. Right. I, I, I don't know, especially as a leader, you can't, you've got to be able to delegate. And everyone who I know who's been wildly successful as a leader always says that the best thing they can do is manage themselves out of a job, right? And so the only way to do that is to empower and share information so that everyone else can do what you would do, right? If you could take a vacation and not have to worry about things blowing up, then you're you're a fantastic leader, right? Like you're giving and you're sharing information the right way, you're empowering your team and your members around you. So that's my goal. And I will tell you during the holidays, I took, 10 business days off of work and i came back did not check my email during that time and everything was fine right? No one died. Nothing blew up. We didn't implode. We're still in business. And so I think that was, for me, a first signal that I'm doing something right here in my Nice,
1: well, Yeah, the best possible benchmark, I think. Because I worry if I don't see leaders taking vacations and taking breaks uh, for the business and for the sustainability of the leader. Because if the company can't function without them, their health and all that kind of stuff is at jeopardy if they can't be taking time off safely. I feel like you're probably also running into uh, an issue I had a few, a few years ago when I was starting to build stuff out and meet with people and advise them on on customer success where I was just, I was getting asked the same questions over and over again. And I have a very low, like next to no patience. So I like, <laughs> I wanted to help everyone, but I was just getting really bored, like answering the same things. So that's when I wrote my my first ebook on the beginner's guide to customer success, which is probably way outdated now, um, but. Is that something that, A, a problem that you run into, and B, you're trying to think about solving through maybe any, a, a book or through or through some other means?
0: So it's so funny that you say that. So the impetus of me, Jay, and Jeff over at Higher Logic starting our weekly podcast was just that. I actually went to Jay and Jeff early last year, I think right at the start of the pandemic, and said, hey, listen... I'm getting people peppering my LinkedIn messages every day Mm -hmm. with questions or seeking advice or guidance or wanting me to review something that they've done. And I said, I'm going to start a podcast and I'm just going to, it's going to be a weekly podcast and it's going to be me literally answering answering questions, right? Like, so I don't have to do this in these one-off formats. And of course, Jay and Jeff immediately were like, no, 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 no. we'll do it together. And like, (laughs) we'll do all the heavy lifting and you just show up and smile and and talk CS stuff. And so, you know, it's been a year and the three of us have been doing this, uh, I would say, Ninety eight percent. We we say it to our weekly with a, a few little you know breaks here and there, holidays and whatnot. But it's been great, right? It's our opportunity to kind of get there. And, and how do you figure out how do you share insights at scale? So that's been really helpful as far as like books and all those other things. Like, listen, I, I'm not a writer. I'm a talker. <laughs> I can I can talk anyone to death. Maybe I'll do like you know like. A, an audio version of something I would otherwise write because it would be true better and yeah, instead of an more for me. audio book just do audio
1: just just yeah just 40 like hours tell my story yeah.
0: yeah like just listen to me talk for forty hours. Um, the other thing that I'm, I'm thinking about doing and I you know I've been kicking this idea around so I might as well just you know introduce the concept here, but also just you know setting up a a series where it's a le- leadership series for anybody who wants to join no limit and no cost and it'll be once a week for an hour, we'll figure out what the cadence needs to be, but every week will just be a topic and I'll kind of go deep on how I dissect or build or do something with regards to building, scaling and transforming customer success. So everything from, Here is my approach with my materials on how I built my customer segments. Here's what I did when I, you know, came in and built my new hire employee program. Or even here's my customer success interview program and all the questions I ask at all the stages. And here's my assignment, right? Like, just give it all away and do it in a format that's engaging. It lets people participate and just, you know, do that because I'm struggling to figure out, like, how do how do I give more?
1: How do you scale, More
0: time, right? Like, yeah, and I love it, and I love it, I love it, I love yeah. it. Um, and I won't say, listen, the one on one conversations I do weekly, and I try to do anywhere from three to three to seven uh, a week with meeting new people and giving advice.
1: Schedule from from three thirty to four thirty in the morning, just right.
0: Oh, it's really tough um, finding more time in the day, but I love those conversations. I will tell you, the people that reach out they are are thoughtful in their requests for time. It's never like, hey, can you send me a playbook? I get those too, and I'm always very vocal about my disinterest in helping those people who won't help themselves, um, and I talk about that often. Like, I'm here to help you help yourself. I'm not giving you my material because you're lazy and, and not very thoughtful. But the folks that really are seeking assistance and guidance and help and just want me to validate things for them or coach them and give them a moment of advice, I love those. I mean, I had a conversation with a young woman last week and at the end of our conversation, she was crying. And and it was because she said that like my passion and enthusiasm inspired her in ways that she hadn't been in so long. And I'm like,
1: that's so sweet. Yeah.
0: I'm going to cry. Like I, I was overwhelmed. Right. And I get the, this is like the sentiment I get from so many, especially the women I speak to who are like, you're an inspiring woman who's been so successful. You're also a minority. Like how what did you do What how do you how do you maintain where does your passion come from and like i don't know like i love that stuff that's what feeds me so yeah. i'll do more of that all day every day
1: it's uh it's why when you go back to the debate i guess in society at large about like does real altruism exist because it feels so good to help people be successful so even if it's like you're giving stuff away but it's like it almost feels selfish because you're like oh this feels so good i want to do more of it
0: It does. So let me tell you something funny about me. So I don't know how many people have gone out there and figured out what their love language is. I can't
1: believe you just brought that up.
0: But my love language is words of affirmation. So if you guys haven't figured that (laughs) out, my husband is, he is a um, quality time and physical touch. So our our love languages um, aren't the same, which is not always great. Um, But because we know each other's love languages, we are fantastic partners and we communicate really well and we... We feed each other yeah. the right way. But so I'm a words of affirmation person. And what I will tell you to be true about me is that that transcends from my personal world yeah. to work in the most real way. Yes. So I always tell people, listen, I'm not money motivated. And it's probably horrible for me to go out there and say that to anyone who might hire me today, <laughs> exactly. tomorrow, in the future. Money is not my driver. And I'll say it, and I'll say it loud and proud. Like, I don't care. I, don't, I am comfortable financially. We don't need to work. Like, I do this because I love it and I'm passionate about it. But if you tell me every day that I'm doing a good job, you will get 130% of Chrissy every day. So these one-on-one meetings that I have with these women or just people in general who are like, you're my hero, you inspire me, like your work's amazing. I'm like head pass all day. This is like, oh my love language would get all fuzzy. Exactly. Um, so like feed my soul, like, I, like there is nothing, nothing better than for me to hear from anybody that something I did helped them or something I did drove value for them or excited them or inspired them. Right. So those those things. Yeah, that's it for me. Like, keep the money, keep all the other stuff like (laughs) just just send
1: me words. Tell me I'm helping.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Like, if it's good, let me know it's good. Yes,
1: I love that. I think uh, it's so funny you brought that up because I literally I sent it to my my boss yesterday. I was like, oh, you and your wife should do this. The five love languages test because I have an idea for for something. I'm not going to get into, but yeah, mine are also, I, my, my main one is quality time and also physical touch. Uh, my partner is gifts and like receiving gifts, I think was his. So,
0: ah uh.
1: again, not super compatible according to <laughs> like yours, but if you know the other person's thing, then, then you're able to like, you're like, okay, I know that they're going to appreciate this. One of the hardest ones, I think for us, even though this is unrelated to love languages or CS, but it was, uh, I love surprises and he hates surprises. Ooh. And so I'm always like, oh, I'm going to do such a nice thing. I'm going to surprise him with something. I'm going to surprise him with this. And it took me like years, probably like five or six or seven years, I'm still figuring it out, to be like, "No, add that extra filter of no. That's a you thing. That's not a him <laughs> thing. So no surprises for, for him.
0: Yeah, it's so funny how just knowing how other people want to be loved, mm-hmm. how that changes the dynamic between how you engage, because I think it's so easy for people to say, well, this is what I would want, right? So it's it's natural to think, well, that's what my partner or whomever else would want, but really not the same at all. And so knowing that really does make a big difference. But I think taking that same approach to customer success, right? Like, what works for one customer won't work for the other. What works for you and the partnership you have with one customer won't be the same, right? So yeah, I always take what I learned about that exercise that we did in our marriage, which I will say, if you are married and you have not done that or read the book, go get it, go watch <laughs> Go watch a podcast on it. There is like so much material in five love languages, but go figure that out. But you know, conduct a similar exercise with your customers. And so one thing that we've done really, really well since we've changed our a lot of our processes is in our partnership kickoff call, we talk about expectations and what do they want from us? Not only like what do they expect as an outcome from the partnership, but how do they want to engage? What's their method of communication? What's their style? Um, you know, what is too much or like it just like we kind of do a deep dive on like, how are we going to be successful in this journey? But like connecting people right like it's a really personal thing how you engage and how you support and like what they need like how do you like to learn are you hands-on do you want to be self-guided do you want me to train you like you know knowing all of those things and knowing the right questions to ask i think makes the difference so just like you would do that at home those are the types of things that you gotta also kind of weave into to work too
1: absolutely filter for your customers and whether you're high touch or low touch. like if you're high touch great like it's you can ask the individual person you can get to know, cause often the key stakeholder cares about different things and communicates differently than the end user and by other stakeholders in the org. And then if you're low touch, then you still have to do that, but you have to understand your customer base and how does this group, group A or group B like to engage and how can we tailor our strategy for that? So yeah, I think it's a super important step. That's probably only re- relatively recent in terms of companies really being proactive about that and CS as a CS function. Going back to your podcast before, you said you started it because you were wanting to answer kind of all these questions. If people have a question that they want Christy to answer for them, what's the best way for them to to get that to you or get it answered on the podcast?
0: Oh, okay. So i mean, send me questions on LinkedIn, which I think a lot of people do. You can comment questions on any of my posts on LinkedIn. I would feel like LinkedIn is the best method to reaching me just because how much time I spent on there, which is probably horrible now. You're
1: going to be the, the first guinea pig for Elon Musk's Neuralink to have LinkedIn immediately yeah. <laughs> embedded in, in your brain.
0: Well, I will say in all fairness, I don't have any other social media. So I don't have Facebook. I do have Instagram, but it's only fitness related. But I So I don't have other social media to distract me. So my distractions are hyper-focused on customer success engagements via LinkedIn. So any LinkedIn messages, things like that, I think are the best way to reach me. And then I would say... I kind of hit on this before, but if people are seeking a response, ask good questions that show that you are thoughtful. Do not ask me to do your job for you. Like I've had people just straight up say, do you have a deck that does X? Can you send me all of your playbooks, all just, of them. just <laughs> not even a playbook, just all of them? And I'm like, uh, no. So, and listen, I, I'm all for helping, but like, I'm all for helping people who want to help themselves. Yes. If you can't be thoughtful and understand that I'm here as a resource, but not as the person who's going to do your job for you, unless you want to give me your money. Although I don't want your money. I want your words. So, you know, it doesn't work. <laughs> doesn't work. Um, so just be thoughtful what's the, what's in what you What's the you're currency
1: <laughs> conversion of words of affirmation to dollars?
0: I don't know. I got to figure that out. Although I don't want to tell anybody.
1: Yeah, I know. I'm gonna I'm gonna be the first to crack the system and have you running <laughs> community for Catalyst pretty soon. Because <laughs> you're so good at it. So you're so so good at it. And you're pretty and you're sweet. <laughs> yeah. Okay, you
0: won. You won. I'll do it.
1: <laughs> okay, we need a webinar next month. So we've ta- <laughs> we've talked a lot about kind of mentorship and and you know the help you give to other people and and stuff is all fantastic. Who helps you and who is someone who you look up to?
0: Okay, so who helps me? it's a thousand percent hands down nobody more it's my husband he helps me find balance he helps me find peace he helps me find i don't know what a, the opposite of like crazy is
1: <laughs> sanity um
0: so yeah, yeah there okay. we, thank you <laughs>
1: no um,
0: i i'm a crazy person and like he helps me rationalize my thoughts my purpose he helps build my confidence he reassures me in ways that nobody else can he is been the back backup dancer to me. Uh, let's pretend at home I'm Beyonce, right? Like he sits home. He is my biggest cheerleader. He makes sure that I know my self worth, I know my value, and that I I get what I deserve. And so there's nobody who helps me more than he does. So he through and through is my partner uh, in in so many more ways than I can ever articulate. And. I tell him that, although he's not a words of affirmation person, so I hug him a lot because he's a physical <laughs> touch go. guy. Um, so, <laughs> and
1: you know that, <laughs> so, and I know that.
0: So, but it's definitely him. And you know, honestly, when I think of who I look up to, it's, I'm also going to keep it at home and say my mother. My parents are not; they are blue collar workers. They have owned delis for 47 years. My parents, uh, my mom is 65, and my dad is 74. And they work still seven days a week. Um, They are up at 6 a.m. and at the deli by 7 and work all day, seven days a week. They don't take off holidays, Christmas, nothing. So there's no break for them. And I've been doing this for 47 years. And um, I look up to my mother because she has taught me work ethic. She has taught me drive. She has taught me to appreciate everything I have and that nothing will ever be given to me, which is probably why I work so hard to fight for what I get and what I want. And she just continues to be an inspiration for me. She's, she's proven, you know, she's an amazing mother. She's an amazing grandmother. So she's all the things that I want to be in my lifetime.
1: That's amazing. And yeah, she sounds absolutely incredible. Let's have her on the podcast.
0: Oh, she time. doesn't know what a podcast is. <laughs> um, if you ask her what I do all, for a living, more she thinks I work on the internet.
1: Well, so she's not I was wrong. like, so like,
0: what? Like, am I building the internet exactly? Like, what, what do you when I work on the internet? So she, she's funny. You know, she just got her first cell phone like a year ago, so she's on social media doing all like weird things.
1: She really does sound amazing. It's amazing to have a role model like that at home and and in your family, for sure. The last question. So we talked about you doing your audiobook as a as a just an audio <laughs> to put you on the spot. If you had to come up with a title for what Christie's autobiography would be what would the title be?
0: Oh my God. I don't know. Probably like something like really cheeky, like get it girl. Like, I mean, honestly, it would be like something like that. Like they're like empowering, go get it something yourself. If you want it, go get it. So yeah, I don't know. It'd probably be something that sounds very similar to a tagline from the Real Housewives of anywhere. So Lesser,
1: um. I, not, uh, I can't believe it's never occurred to me before now to start the Real Housewives of customer success. Would that be entertaining or boring? I'm, I haven't decided yet.
0: I think really boring to watch because there's no drama and everyone's trying to appease everybody else and be super helpful. So like what makes the housewives amazing is that they can't be in the same room together for 20 minutes without there being some like brawl. (laughs) Um, And so customer success people aren't like that, right? Like everyone wants to help each other and it's it's like the happiest place on earth. And so not not fun entertainment. Yeah, very true. We we don't
1: make good reality TV. No, we don't. The only way I'm I'm doing another uh, debate episode based on our, our debate initiative at Catalyst. And the only way I can get people to do it is to say a million times like this is a friendly debate. You're not directly disagreeing. You're just voicing your alternative opinions to the. I have to like dance around it because every- no one wants to, uh, no one wants to take it on. But I got it. And you know, there's never one easy answer for anything. So.
0: Oh, yeah. I don't know. I, I could, you know what? I'm due for like a good heated debate. The problem is like, I, I think I have a little fight in me and because things at home are too good with my husband, like we don't <laughs> argue about anything. So I, I know I shouldn't be saying that that's a problem, but um, yeah, I've got this probably like this, this interest in like debating something yeah. and just like fighting about something and I can't, so I do to fight about.
1: Well, the good thing is having people that you are comfortable with and friendly enough to have a strong disagreement on. Like, do you know if there's anything that you and Jay disagree on?
0: Ooh.
1: Cause I could see if they're, cause that, cause you guys are so comfortable I mean, with each other that it would be hilarious oh, if we,
0: me, Jay, and Jeff could have a really, really good, healthy debate if we could find something that we really felt passionate about that we yeah. disagreed on. I don't know that we found <laughs> okay, that well, yet that's, though. Yeah. We, there's always like so much like when we do our podcast, it's like, yeah, great point. Oh, I just wrote that down. Like i want to yeah. go do that. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's like more validation of than anything. Not
1: dramatic. I need the drama. <laughs> Okay, awesome. I'll t- i'll uh, I'll stop grilling you on on that then, but uh, this has been so much fun, and thank you so much for sharing and for all that you do for the for the CS community.
0: Oh, this has been awesome. I think this is the first time I've done something like this that felt just like a conversation, Ben. So thank you so much for inviting me to participate. It
1: only took, what, 10 months or something of COVID to get get here. And by the time we have it figured out reliably, we'll be ready to go back into the office, which I cannot wait for. I'm going to throw the party to end all parties in New York. So.
0: Oh, gosh. I'm staying home. But that. I'll come for your party.
1: Yeah, no, you better. <laughs> The party's at your house. You have a pool. What am I saying? That's
0: true. We got to wait. You know what? By this summer, hopefully, this will all die down and we can just have a big, massive pool party.
1: That sounds ideal. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Christy. All
0: right. Bye.
1: Thanks so much for listening. If you like the show, please leave us a review and share this podcast with a friend. If you want to learn more about Catalyst, visit Catalyst.io. Until next week, I'm Ben Wynn, and this was
0: NPS I Love You. P.S. Yes, I love you.